Welcome to the second episode in the Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association's Viewpoints ESG podcast series. I'm Maggie Williams, and over the course of these three programmes, we're giving each of the E, S and G of ESG, environmental, social and governance, its own show, delving into some of the key investment issues for UK pension funds. Today, it's the turn of S for social. From exploitative work practices that undermine long-term business performance to diversity and inclusion at board level, the impact of social within ESG investing is high profile, and not least because COVID-19 has shone a powerful spotlight on factors such as executive pay and social inequality. From an investment standpoint, S goes beyond objecting to excessive pay awards. It can also address creating a fairer, more productive and ultimately wealthy economy by investing to have a positive effect on communities and wider society. To discuss these themes and more, I'm joined today by Caroline Escott, Senior Investment Manager at RPMI Railpen, and Karen Hurst, Senior Policy Advisor, Investment and Stewardship at the PLSA. And we've got further thoughts on this topic from Baroness Helena Morrissey of the Diversity Project, and Peter Wallach, Director of Pensions at Merseyside Pension Fund, who both spoke at the PLSA's Investment Conference in March this year. I'd also like to invite you to the PLSA's first ESG conference between the 30th of June and 2nd of July, which explores pension funds' environmental, social and governance investment responsibilities, new opportunities to make positive change, good stewardship and much more besides. And you can find further information at www.plsa.co.uk. We know that the S of ESG is important, but with such a potentially wide set of criteria related to the social aspect of investment, it's not always easy for trustees to clarify what S means in the context of their portfolios. I asked Caroline Escott, Senior Investment Manager at RPMI Railpen, what this means for their scheme and for her definition of the S of ESG. So for us, it's really about what a company does with regards to people. So both the people internally, but also the people externally outside its organisations, so the communities in which they operate. And it can cover a number of different issues. So you could have human capital management, how well a company deals with and treats its its workforce, but also with its suppliers and customers, as well as a company's approach to and respect for Indigenous communities. We look at whether or not a company really seems committed to tackling and eradicating modern slavery from its supply chains. And it can also include diversity considerations beyond the board. So how well does a company do in providing an inclusive environment for all its employees? Why does it matter to RPMI as an investor and to you as a pension scheme? For us as an investor, it's really about thinking what E, S and G issues are most material to our portfolio. Um, So as you say, it can be any number of E, S and G issues. It can be any number of S issues as well. But our starting point is very much when we look at our holdings, when we look at our biggest holdings, when we look at the company specific risk, but also the broader environment, what do we think are the potential issues that might have the most impact on the bottom line and ultimately on the value of member savings? So for us at Railpen, a very key focus is workforce issues, how well a company treats its workforce, as well as modern slavery. The other interesting thing about how we approached at Railpen is that we are very emboldened by our trustee board. Our trustee board is a board of 16 
Eight of those are nominated by trade unions. Our average member is a 45-year-old man who works on the railways in a very highly unionised industry. So we feel very comfortable, and the interactions that we have with the trustee board would add to this, we feel very comfortable that the approach we are taking in focusing on workforce issues is something that is very much in line with, with those issues the trustee board considers material, and also those issues which we know matter to the membership as well. And COVID-19 has, of course, really shone a light on corporate behaviour, on the S of ESG. For us, that's really positive. It's been one of the motivating factors behind our introducing new lines in our voting policy, for instance. So saying how we will vote where companies have not treated their workforce fairly, both during COVID-19 and also beyond. And we have also decided that the worth of the workforce is going to be a priority engagement theme for us going forward. So interested to work with others to try to improve corporate behaviour um, on, on these issues, as well as on the other S issues that really matter to our portfolio. And you've talked about uh things like assessing uh, corporate behaviour and workforce issues. Um, how do you assess and manage those uh, as and other, and other S issues as part of your investment governance? For those of you who don't know Railpen, we are the in-house asset manager for the Railway Pension Scheme. So the trustee board of the Railway Pension Scheme is our one client. Um, and how they approach investment and their statement of investment principles and their trustee investment beliefs as well really very much provide the framework within which we do all our investment activity and make all our investment decisions because we are conscious that we are there to help them invest in members' best interests. And so we have discussions with the trustee board. We, we gain their perspective on what issues they think are most material to us um, and then look at how we might apply that to our portfolio. So as I said before, there's the stock specific issues and risks and the S issues. And for particular companies, that might be anything from what we consider to be potentially an anti-union campaign or a company where we don't think that they are fully committed to, to eradicating slavery from every bit of their supply chain, or even a company where we think that they have a serious issue with a very high rate of turnover of staff. Um, so we think about what issues are relevant to those specific companies. And then the other side of it is the thematic issues. So what are the thematic S issues that are systemic risks that pose a risk to a greater or lesser extent to all of our holdings and the risks that we face as a universal asset owner? And that includes issues this year like COVID-19 and the impact it has on how um, and the, the light it shines on how companies are treating their workforce. Once we have thought about our thematic priorities and our priorities for engagement with each of our major holdings, we set ourselves a series of objectives. We either engage directly or we collaborate with other investors and other bodies whose interests align with our own. So for instance, we are a founding member of the Workforce Disclosure Initiative and we work with them to try to improve the state of workforce reporting. And within each of those different activities, we think about how we can achieve the most impact. So it could be the engagement, it could be exercising our vote, and we consider the vote to be a really powerful tool for offering either support or sanction in a very public way to how a company approaches a particular issue as well. 
We will also regularly assess our holdings on ESG risks and our preference is to engage, to try to improve corporate behaviour and work with the companies to ensure good ESG performance. But where we feel like a risk is so unmanageable or where we think that conduct and behaviour has been so egregious, we will work closely with the investment team and consider whether or not um, we should be divesting. Um, we have done that for a number of companies on, on uh, modern slavery grounds where we felt like there were really significant and very serious issues with the level of modern slavery and their attitude towards modern slavery as well across the supply chain. And we've seen the link between climate change, the E of ESG, if you like, uh, and long-term profit made very clearly in recent years. Do you think the same can be said of S? Yes, I do. So I would probably split this into two different aspects. So the first is that there is a growing body of evidence, and there has been for quite some time, actually, which demonstrates the link between a company which performs well in terms of managing and minimising staff turnover, or which is on a great place to work index, um, or where a company has invested significantly in well-targeted training and development for its staff, um, that there's a link between companies that are doing well on those respects and also outperformance when it comes to the wider stock market. And if you look at some of the research from Warwick Business School or Wharton Business School, there's quite a, a body to, to be explored there. The other thing that I think is instructive and has been quite interesting is some of the developments over the last year during the coronavirus. So we saw, particularly at the beginning, where a company was publicly seen to not be protecting its workforce sufficiently, to not be treating its suppliers fairly, that there was social media uproar and that customers and suppliers in a number of instances were voting with their feet. And I think that the public's memory is long. And I think that news of poor corporate behaviour during what is a, a global disaster um, does have an impact and will have a long-term impact on a company's perceived license to operate and also on the bottom line. So on operating costs, on, on likely future revenue and demand for their products as well. And the other thing that I think is quite interesting is the delivery IPO. So that was just a few weeks ago at the time that we've been recording this. And before the IPO launched, a number of very high profile investors came out publicly and said that they would not be investing in delivery because they had fundamental concerns about the sustainability of their business model and the sustainability of the employment model as well and workforce treatment. The IPO was a bit of a damp squib. And it's probably a bit too early to consider the, the long-term impact on the financial import performance or share performance. But I think that in itself is quite instructive because it's one of the first times that a bunch of investors has come out on an S issue and actually said, we will not invest because of this reason, because we believe that this particular issue is financially material and we have concerns about it. Thanks, Caroline. Baroness Helena Morrissey of the Diversity Project explained at the PLSA's recent investment conference that fund managers, as well as trustee boards, also need to think about their own social plans to build a diverse and inclusive workforce that drives better decision making. What the asset owners can do 
there's a huge amount. I mean, you were you have such power. You ultimately, I know you many of you will use pension fund consultants, and um, that's the norm these days, and so forth. But you have a huge amount of power. And we've been working on a set of data, sort of template that we would expect or hope that would be useful to fund management houses to complete around their diversity as statistics, not again, just to compile numbers for its own sake, but to be better able to manage um, the situation and to be aware of where they might have some problems. And we know that the pension fund consultants are working on a similar sort of set of data points in terms of the fund managers that it will put in the buy rating and the asset owners are working on something similarly, um, certainly the PLSA, in terms of what you should ask of your fund managers. And if we can get us a common standards, I think it would just so accelerate the progress because people would feel, okay, this is just the price we pay to do business. This is part of the license to operate. And again, I don't think it would create social engineering. I think it would just create that forensic focus on data that at the moment people just didn't even know where they stand. So please do join in with that and do ask, you know, as one of your criteria, because it has been shown to have a powerful impact on results, to have more diversity on um, that actually improves the bottom line. So it's rational to expect, you know, to ask for this and to expect fund managers to do it. Diversity and inclusion is just one of the workforce factors that asset managers should be exploring on behalf of pension schemes. As Karen Hurst of the PLSA explains. It's clear that um, climate change has sort of overshadowed uh, some of the S and the G when it comes to ESG. But I think we've had a really important year on the social front as well. I think this is going to remain high on our agenda in the coming year. So it's certainly something uh, we continue to prioritise at the PLSA. Back in March, we published our annual voting guidelines. Uh, this is an annual uh, guide that we publish. We set out a sort of corporate governance review, but we also set out the PLSA's recommendations on how investors should be approaching the upcoming AGM season. Um, workforce issues are, of course, not a new addition to that. That's been around as long as the guide has. But the virus, and I think particularly the sort of debate around the role of companies and employees that was triggered by the virus, I think has given a new emphasis to these issues. So in our guide that we advised that company investors sorry, should be looking out for signs that during this incredibly difficult time, companies have prioritised the health and safety of their workforce. And also the government support is not being abused, particularly in relation to some of you know the executive pay issues. See their workforce as an asset and not a burden. The other big issue, and again, this is, this is not a new issue, but is equality. So I think this is another area where we're increasingly seeing a new normal established. I think we've moved on from it being acceptable for companies to to sort of state some good intentions, um, but but see it as a bit of a challenge overall. When we spoke to our members, we could see increasingly that they were looking um, for specific targets to be set, for example, in relation to board composition and, and pay equality and so on. And they were also looking for clear evidence that those are being considered in a meaningful way um, and, and that they're moving towards a target. I think topics such as, for example, the acceptability of all white boards and, and the, where there's evidence of significant gender pay gaps are now standard discussion in the mainstream media. And that's something that investors need to be considering. As you've said, like other aspects of ESG, stewardship practices here are crucial. Can you tell us about some of the challenges in this area? Yeah, there's certainly been an increasing spotlight on these issues. I think both because of the profile of them generally, but also because pension schemes are subject to increasing regulatory requirements um, in this area. So, for example, we've seen in the past year or so uh, the new statement of investment principles uh, rules come in and also implementation statements that just came in in October there. 
which means that pension funds really need to access information on exactly where their investments are and how their principles are being reflected in voting behaviours um, of their uh, fund managers. We do recognise that this comes with some challenges. We've been working with a wide range of people to sort of um, find a way forward and, and, and find a way through some of these challenges, as particularly the case in pooled fund vehicles. Um, we've developed our vote reporting template that we published last year, which should help with some of this. Um, and we've, we've developed that with a wide range of stakeholders. Um, and we think that will help with the flow of information uh, between fund managers and, and asset owners. We're also looking to see the uh, hopeful that, that we can see some better disclosure of information in this area. I know this was something that was flagged in the, the climate podcast uh, that, that was broadcast recently. We've been a wee bit frustrated at some of the uh, sort of lack of data on workforce reporting that we're seeing. A few years ago, we carried out some research on this. It was called The Worth of the Workforce. And we wanted to establish what our members valued in terms of metrics and how far listed companies reported against them. We also encouraged engagement with the Workforce Disclosure Initiative. That was an initiative by Sheer Action. Um, that asks companies to provide annual data to enable better comparative analysis and tr- transparency in this area. The situation is definitely moving forward. We've seen a lot of improvement in the last few years, but we would like to see more companies report on these metrics to help investors uh, sort of monitor these issues. I think most of the challenges that have been identified are actually very similar to the ones that we discussed in relation to climate change. There was a recent report from the Pensions Policy Institute that sort of noted the lack of data was a concern and also the sort of the wide range and, and qualities of nature of some social factors. It makes it very difficult for pension schemes to feel that they're on top of them. I think this is particularly the case, as I say, in pooled vehicles and with alternative asset classes. But we're working with a wide range of people to try and address them and make it as easy as possible to to monitor these issues. And in our first podcast, uh, I asked PLSA Chair Richard Butcher whether the E of ESG is a moral or a financial issue. And he was very firmly of the view that it is a financial issue. Uh, So what are your thoughts about the S of ESG, moral or financial? (laughs) I mean, fundamentally, the reason that pension schemes need to consider these issues and, and the reason that the, the regulators take an interest and that the PLSA did so much work is because pension funds are looking after other people's retirement money and these issues are linked to performance, to, you know, to the performance of those investments. We have seen a few examples in the past few months that, that sort of demonstrates this. I think most notably a, a certain football league in the past uh, week, for example, in, in terms of what happens when sort of social issues are not considered. I mean, I, I, that doesn't mean it's not also a, a moral issue. I, I work with a lot of our members. I speak to them regularly. I, I, overwhelmingly, I get the sense that they want to do the right thing. And, and so, you know, we're looking to, as best we can, make sure the systems are in place that enables them to do so. Many thanks, Karen. We'll hear from you again shortly. Another side of social is as a force for good in the community and society more generally through impact investment. At the PLSA's Investment Conference 2021, Peter Wallach of Merseyside Pension Fund explained how his fund is investing in social enterprises that benefit local people and businesses. In terms of Merseyside, we're about £10 billion, both in terms of assets and liabilities at the moment. We have 200 employing bodies in the scheme and about 140,000 members. In terms of that membership, our average pension in payment is just under £6,000 a year, perhaps more significantly. Of our active members, we have nearly 17,000 members who earn less than £14,600 a year. That's not because they work part-time. That is the full-time equivalent 
of their salary. We have a further 13,000 members who are earning 22,800 or less. So you can see that we have a number of people who aren't particularly well paid. Wouldn't surprise me if a lot of you listening to this call probably pay more in tax than, than my members earn. But you know, Merseyside is an area of significant deprivation. Tammy spoke about health and social inequalities, and we see those very much on Merseyside. For example, Wirral, our administering authority, we have 10 years difference in terms of life expectancy between two different areas of the same borough. So in terms of Merseyside, we have been investing um, in impact investments in an informal way for quite a while. But back in 2012, along with five other local authority funds, we commissioned a report from the Smith Institute um, in relation to investing for growth. And on the back of that, a number of investments were made by the five funds. We made three, one of which was into social impact bonds. And there's just an example there on the slide of the, of the sort of things that those social impact bonds were investing in, things that were very relevant to uh, our local authority around education, around families, around adoption and fostering. With social factors becoming ever more important both to trustees and to scheme members, I asked Karen Hurst what the PLSA is doing to help pension funds develop best practice. Well, responsible investment is one of our main policy priorities for this year, so we've certainly got a lot on to keep us busy. Uh, top of my list at the moment is the DWP's call for evidence on how pension funds are considering social elements uh, within ESG. That was just launched recently. Uh, we'll be looking to submit some really comprehensive information on that when it closes in the summer. So I'm looking forward to having a lot of good discussions with our members in the coming months to find out what's uh, what they're finding and, and what their what their priorities are and, and I guess what their frustrations are also. Uh, as I say, we've also recently launched our voting guidance. This is a really important piece of work that we publish annually and that monitors the trends and puts forward recommendations to members on how they should be uh, reflecting this in their voting behaviour or, or, or their priorities uh, upcoming AGM season. Again, we've seen some really high profile resolutions in this space recently, so I think it's important that our members feel equipped for that. We've just updated our vote report and template that I also mentioned. This is something we published last summer to help pension schemes meet their regulatory requirements. That's been in place for a few months now. We've taken some of the feedback on board from the sort of from the initial few months and we've been working with regulators and stakeholders to try and make it as meaningful as possible. So uh, that's just about to be relaunched. We've also got a quite an interesting project underway with the Investment Association that's looking at how we can better integrate effective stewardship throughout the investment chain. So, for example, looking at things like model mandates and also establishing agreed investment objectives. I'm really hopeful that that piece of work will result in some good practical resources that will help pension funds in their stewardship activities. And finally, uh, just to say, we've just launched uh, another round of the research project on workforce reporting issues. We're doing it this time alongside our friends at the CIPD and also at RailPen. Again, this will be looking to take a snapshot of how far companies are reporting against key metrics. And we're hopeful that this will help raise the profile of the issue um, and that we'll be in a position to publish some of that work later this year. Many thanks, Karen. The S of ESG is a powerful influence on the long-term sustainability of business, as well as being able to make a tangible difference to the lives of individuals, some of whom will undoubtedly be members of pension schemes themselves. Good news social stories can open up new ways to communicate with members and help them better identify with their scheme as a force for good. If you'd like to know more about the S in scheme investment, 
Make sure that you sign up for the PLSA's ESG conference at www.plsa.co.uk. Many thanks to Caroline, Karen, Peter and Baroness Helena for their insights today. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, why not listen to episode one, the E of ESG? I hope you'll join us again for the third episode in the series to explore G for governance.